Have you seen the Woodstock 99 documentary on Netflix yet? Like, if you're anything close to my age, few, few, few people are these days. Very few people are these days. But, like, if you're a kid who was raised in the 90s, watch that dog. Because I, like, and I fully admit, summer of 99, that was, I got my driver's license the day school ended. I was an embarrassment to my family because I didn't get it on my 16th birthday. But I had to wait because I was in the middle of driver training when, because uh, I didn't do it the year before. And so I was doing driver training and then went and got my license after I was done driver training. So I had my license, summer of 99. So that summer for me was unbelievable. I was kind of oblivious to Woodstock 99 going on. I mean, I knew about it. But and then and then when I heard about this documentary, I said to my buddies, like, what what's the big deal about it? And basically it was, oh, dude, it was like the shit show of all shit shows. And I didn't realize there's, which now I got to watch this, there's an HBO documentary that was done a while back on it. And yeah, wow. The documentary, so it's a three-part documentary for those who haven't seen it yet. Three-part documentary, an hour each. Was so good. Kind of made me want to cry realizing how long ago that time now was um i hadn't forgot about fred durst and the red yankees hat but uh that's one that's one trend even as a hat guy and i am a new era hat guy if you don't know that yet i've got about 50 new era hats it's the the craze has slowed down in the last decade, but there was a time where I was spending about three quarters of my paycheck on new era hats. I might be over exaggerating a bit, but man, I have a nice collection of hats. New era baseball. I hated the red Yankees hat. I never understood why it took off. Fred Durst was always such a douche. I liked some of Limp Biscuit's music. I can separate douchebags and good music. At the time, it was good music. There's still songs that they put out. Um, I like My Way still to this day. Uh, what's the other one? Not Nookie. <laughs> Trust me, not Nookie. Um, their remake of Faith, I still like, even though it gets really dumb. The opening of it, the first part of it is awesome. Um, I think it's when Durst says, shut the fuck up. And then it starts going into like just this ridiculously stupid part is where they lose me but the first part's awesome um 
why am I blanking on the one other Limp Bizkit song? That I I don't listen to <laughs> Limp Bizkit very often. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that if Faith comes on or... Sorry, I'm just looking some stuff up now. If Faith comes on... Uh, you know what? I, I'll listen to Nookie. It's still so dumb. I never understood why that song got so huge. Break Stuff was dumb. Yes, I looked some of it. Rearranged. That's the song I was trying to think of. I don't mind Rearranged. You know good to me. Thank God it's over. Um... Yeah, that Woodstock doc, it's so good. The only thing that I kind of came away from it being like, duh. And maybe it's because I was 16 at the time. But this, like, fascination with, wow, the teenagers were so angry and there was raping going on. And, like, yeah, yeah, what the fuck did you expect you got you got a quarter of a million people and no cops patrolling the area a quarter of a million people obviously most are going to be dudes I would say just watching that doc the ratio of guys to girls was at least three to one at least and they basically didn't have security or police officers on site. Oh my God, there was rape going on. Yeah, and I'm not condoning it in any fucking way. But yeah, you get people who are tanked and high off their ass. They're going to do a lot of shit they shouldn't. You get people who don't have to worry about consequences. They're going to do a lot of shit they shouldn't. Like, <laughs> that just blew my mind. Like, oh my God, we, could, we couldn't believe it. Like, what? You couldn't believe it? Like, I'm sorry. I know there wasn't the light shone upon rape in 1999 that there is in 2022. But it was still around. People still knew it was wrong. Like, you know, the narrative now is, yeah, we were cool with it. No, nobody was cool with it, guys. Like, it was still, like, it was still a big deal. Like, I don't know what planet these people were living on, but you still knew, like, no meant no, feminism was a thing in the 90s too. You know, like these, these things were, it didn't just all of a sudden happen in 2017 where people said, just say no. And the, and the um, why am I blanking on the, uh, some of the causes, the Me Too movement and things of that nature. Like the, just because the Me Too movement came around doesn't mean that people all of a sudden found out what rape was. Turn, no, I don't want the volume on the TV right now. Thank you. 
Junior's trying to sleep. Can you imagine if Junior was trying to sleep and had someone yelling into a microphone while he was trying to do that? How annoying. How terrible for him. Great documentary, though. Oh, my God. Oh, like, normally when I get nostalgic, I'm just like, oh, jeez, yeah, fuck, what a time. With this one, I was kind of like, God, I'm so old. And, like, legitimately, like, wanted to cry. Well, not wanted to cry. Like, it's not like I was tearing up, but it was just, it kind of left me with a, with a, empty feeling with a bad feeling of like I just like my youth is gone you know it sucks it sucks I won't lie it sucks now I honestly do believe that 40 is the new 30 50 is the new 40 like I kind of you know we look so much younger as a generation now than the generation before. And, you know, the one thing about getting older is, well, or the one thing about society is that it's more tolerant to things like, you know, for example, for me, not having a marriage and kids till I'm in my 40s, because that's now going to be the case. Unless I get really stupid and overnight propose to a girl. I don't plan on it, but I guess you never know. So I still feel like even though in some ways I feel really old, in other ways I feel really young, so I probably shouldn't get too emotional over it. But yeah, yeah, I'm still pretending to be a podcaster or a broadcaster. Anyway, that's not why you tuned in to this podcast, is it? Ha! The title was a bit misleading. Or was it? It wasn't. But I gotta start the show off with something. By the way, welcome to Soups on Hockey. I'm your host, Tyler Campbell. How's it going? I'm sitting here. It's a Sunday night. Doesn't really matter. This isn't one of those uh, podcasts that's really important what the date is, what the time is, any of that. It's uh, one that'll hold up. It's my top 20 Oilers prospect list. Now, this was going to be tied in with another thing that I'm going to do. I was going to do it all in one shot. I was going to do a prospect list, and then I was going to look at, and I probably will as I go along here, but I was going to look at how every prospect factors into the Oilers' future. Like, obviously, things change. But if you're a good organization, in my opinion, you have several different plans. You have several because you've got to adjust because you never know what when something new might come along. You know, the Oilers might have this great plan and then all of a sudden, boom, tomorrow Kirby Doc told Montreal that he doesn't want to sign there and he wants to play for, he wants to go home and play with Edmonton. And all of a sudden the Oilers got to say, okay, well, what, what can we do? to make a trade happen that would make sense to bring Kirby in that would make us better does it make sense for us to bring Kirby you know like just and that's a hypothetical obviously but things of that nature you know you you got to be on your toes but 
for the most part, you have plans set up. In my opinion, in those in those scenarios, you just readjust your plan after the fact, or you try to figure out a new plan to move forward in the moment. You know, but for the most part, you can you can plan things out. I'll save that for another show, even though I'll hit on a lot of it today. But like, just to give you an example, Hyman, Kane, Nugent Hopkins, all guys, you know, hovering around 5.1, in in Hyman's case, 5.5. And they're all in their 30s. Is Hyman there yet? Hyman, if he's not 30, he's about to be. Oh, Nugent isn't 30 till next year. That's right, too. I think April 9th, I believe, is when Nuge turns 30. But they're all guys who, what do we got? Six years left of Hyman, four years left of Kane, seven years left of Nugent Hopkins. At some point in those deals, it's likely that those players will start to decline and the Oilers will need prospects to come up and take some of their minutes maybe completely take over their roles and give the Oilers real value contracts to offset that little over $15 million. So just thinking out loud, and this isn't one that I've, you know, this, but Zach Hyman, maybe Ty Tulio can be that guy to replace some of that play. Just a hypothetical. So that's, but I'll save that. I'll, I'll, I didn't get too far into that with notes or anything. I'll save that for another podcast. Because I think that's interesting in itself. Doing a top 20, look, there's guys, there's guys out there who are either just as good or no more than I do. This is my top 20. This, for me, this is my top 20. So understand that. I'm not suggesting that I know the prospects better than anyone. I know them better than most people. But there's other people out there who are, you know, um, I th- it's B. Kerlock, it's all one, one word on Twitter, is the best follow for Oilers prospects. Absolutely 100% the best follow. Seems like a fantastic human being. If you don't follow him, follow him. I hope I'm saying the name right. I think it's B. Kerlock. Because I don't think the B, you know. So I'm assuming the last name's Kerlock. I could be wrong on that. If it is, I apologize, my man. We've never DM'd. I I hit him up a lot on Twitter. I I hate bothering people on Twitter. I've DM'd with a few people before. People have DM'd me. Frankly, I get uncomfortable, not because I'm not friendly to those people or those people aren't friendly to me. I just, I'm from a different generation. I'm not used to it, I guess. So, you know, I don't like to bug people too much on DM and on Twitter. There's some bigger names. There's this, there's quite a few bigger names that I've DM'd with on uh, on Twitter before. I'm not going to say who they are. And they've been awesome to me. Uh, there's some good people that DM me. I, hey, you know, I, 
I definitely hope that I'm a good dude, but you also, you won't catch me trying to befriend anyone, whether I'm reaching out or they're reaching out to me. I'm just not, used, you know, and I was fun, it's funny, there's a pretty, one of the more popular Oilers Twitters out there is a pretty good friend of mine. And he or she, um, we were we were messaging the other night, and I had said this to her or him. <laughs> I kind of gave that one away, um, but I had said to this person that uh, this same story about, and I told them about someone specifically who I had DM before, and I'm like, ah, I just kind of feel like I don't know, and. They just laughed. I think they, it's more in their comfort zone than it is mine. But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here that's not really necessary. Top 20 prospects. Uh, yeah, but B. Kerlock, I think that's how his name is. But that's his handle. And uh, at B. Kerlock. And just terrific, knows his stuff. I'm not trying to pretend that I know. He would probably put on a top 20 list that would be much more accurate than I than mine I watch Bakersfield occasionally. He watches Bakersfield religiously. I concede to him. He might hear of this list, see this list, and say, no, you're an idiot because of this, this, and this. And I go, oh, okay. Like, I'm learning. I'm learning. But, again, this is content. This is my top 20 list. So here it is. But... Before, and I say top 20, I should point this out too. I say top 20, I'm going to go over the prospects who are now gone. I'm going to go over a lot of honorable mentions. I didn't even, I'm just looking at the list right now. I didn't even have a nice round number. I just put a bunch of guys that I wanted to talk about. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six honorable mentions. There's you know, it covers most of the kids in the system. Not every kid in the system, but most kids in the system. Let's start with the farewells. We're going to go in alphabetical order. Philip Berglund. Philip Berglund was the Oilers' third-round pick, 91st overall in the 2016 draft. Um, he was the pick that they received for Justin Schultz at the 16 deadline. That's who they took... That's who they got for Justin Schultz, essentially. It was Philip Berglund, 6'3", 209 right shot defenseman. Looked good in camp last year. And it was the first time where I kind of went, oh. I'd been maybe a little bit higher on Berglund than I should have been the whole time. He was... There's a weird light that just came on on my uh, Nest thermostat. Hopefully nothing's wrong. Anyway, um, if my house blows up, uh, I was going to say tell my mom I love her, but she passed away. That is my way of making you feel bad and uncomfortable. Um, Hey, I can laugh at that, all right? Okay? It's my hurt. If I don't laugh, I cry. And we all know I cry at two things. My mother passing away and... The Woodstock 99 documentary. Where was I? Philip Berglund. Yeah, I had high hopes for him. I thought there was enough there. I think 
if I remember correctly, he was he was passed up in the 15 draft. That part I know. I believe he was injured that entire season. I believe he missed, if not the entire season, most of the season. And that's why he got passed up. So the Oilers took him in the third round of, ne- of the next year's draft, 2016. Yeah, he... You know, he was Philip Broberg's D partner in over in Sweden. And then obviously when Broberg came over here, he was Broberg's D partner to start last season. Like I said, he showed well in camp. Like there, It looked like there was some promise there. And then he just never got it going in the A last year. It just never. And it's one thing that really hurt him, there was three other kids who were who passed him on the depth chart on the right side. And it just they all play pretty similar to one another. Berglund did nothing to set himself apart from that group. We'll talk about that group, obviously. Um yeah. It just, when the Oilers didn't give him a qualifying offer, wasn't a shock. Uh, Next up, Ilya Konovalov. The Oilers didn't have to give him a qualifying offer. They bought him out. He requested to be bought out so he could go home. Being very frank about Konovalov, I never saw it. There were a lot of big voices in the Oilers world who continually tried to tell people that he was the future between the pipes. The truth is that he has never been the same guy since having an amazing 18-19 season in the KHL that got him drafted. He was drafted third round, 85th overall, 2019 draft. Everybody was super pumped when they saw his numbers after they drafted him. Oh my God, look at this kid, this small Russian goaltender. Obviously, he got passed up because of his size. He'll prove all the doubters wrong. Someone, one of those more prominent voices in the Oilers world, I recall them writing after his 1920 season that if you removed his first, I think it was like 12 games, I can't remember the exact number, but if you remove the certain amount of games at the start of the season, that his numbers were the same. And that person completely ignored his 888 save percentage in five playoff games. And 888 would be terrible in the AHL. In the KHL, that is motherfucking horrific. That is a nightmare. That is like an NHL goaltender having a 700 save percentage. That is so freaking bad. That might be like an AHL goaltender. I said NHL. That might be like an AHL goaltender having a 700 save percentage. KHL numbers are far higher for goaltenders. That is horrible. And then you, but you add to that, if you watched him play, it was pretty easy to see. He just doesn't have the quickness and athleticism needed for someone who is sub six feet to play regularly in the NHL. Like, like any Oilers fan, I'd like to see him play one more season in Bakersfield, and especially with it being his, it would have been his net this season. 
But I am one person. I don't view this. I don't view him being bought out to be a big loss for the organization. I just never saw it. I think with everyone, they, they looked at his numbers and they went, oh my God, goaltender of the future. And I'm not joking. That's what some people were talking like. Like, oh, they got, there's goaltending solved now. What? No. No, God, no. He had one season where he popped. Don't forget, he'd been passed over in the 16, 17, and 18 drafts. He was passed over three drafts before the Oilers took him. And full, 100% they should have taken him. Like, I don't know where the right spot to take him was, but no doubt he was worth a draft pick because his numbers in the K in 18-19, I don't have them in front of me, but they were unreal. But it was it's now clear to me like that's that was an anomaly an anomaly if i can speak english he just he's never one amazing season and what would it be five seasons where he just he looked nothing close to an nhl goaltender i think i'm going to take the other five seasons I think they're more telling than the one season where he was amazing. I just, I never, that always bothered me. Two people, two people, and there could have been more, but there were two that I knew about who just raved about him. And it was like, boys, you're not looking, you're just, I don't know what you're trying to do, but you're not telling the truth. I know that. Either that or you're not up on your stuff. Because he, this is not the goaltender of the future. This guy has not been the goaltender of the future. He's not been anything close to it since they drafted him. Not remotely close. Cooper Marodi, next on the list. Cooper Marodi was acquired in a trade with Philadelphia March 21st, 2018. With a third round pick. That third round pick originally belonged to the New Jersey Devils. The Oilers acquired that pick in the Patrick Maroon trade. So Marodi was the return for Maroon. There were a lot of times, Konovalov got overrated as a prospect by people in this, in the Oilers' hemisphere, so to speak. Marodi got underrated. In my mind, there was a lot of times where it was like, oh, he's right there. The skating is the number one thing that held him back. The concussion he suffered at the hands of, who was it, from Colorado. Oh, uh, yeah, former Oilers prospect, Kale Kessie. Kale Kessie is who the Oilers... um, Acquired for Tobias Reader. Me, as an idiot, the first time around that is, they got him for Reader. Me, as an idiot, when they did that deal, I thought, that is awesome. Kale Cassie's supposed to be Kyle Clifford. Yeah, nope. Nope, he sure sure isn't Kyle Clifford. 
like I'm sure there's a hockey player out there somewhere named Clifford Kyle that maybe Cassie's closer to than Kyle Clifford. Uh, or maybe there's another Kyle Clifford that Cassie resembles. It ain't the one that played in the NHL. Cassie was never anything close to Kyle Clifford. Former Medicine Hat Tiger, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Marody, ironically, Marody wasn't going to sign with Philly. The Oilers trade for his rights. He signs with the Oilers. Now he signed back with Philly. Uh, again, if I'm not mistaken, the Oilers just didn't qualify him. He, if he gets a chance, I think he sticks. I really do. Like, I just, you know, he got one game last year. It was in Seattle. I thought he looked great. You know, that was that was the game where they had a lot of guys out with COVID. He came up. Seth Griffith came up. I I really like Marody's game. That skating is very, very borderline. But I think if he gets a legit chance to stick as a fourth-line center, he can do it. What would be ironic about Marody as a fourth-line center is he could contribute on their power play, on a team's power play as well, if need be. There's a lot of Marody's game to like. Clock just ran out on him here in uh, with the Oilers. That's all there is to it. You know, the Oilers, it, it was time to move on. It was time for, you know, for Marody. I'm sure Marody wanted to move. And again, I, I'm kind of hesitating as I say this because I'm not, I'm not sure if they didn't qualify him or if he was a group six free agent. Or... I don't know. He wouldn't have been a UFA because he's late 96. Same age, well, same draft as Connor McDavid, only a month, a month younger than Connor McDavid. But yeah, I, uh, Cooper Marody's one that sucks to see him go. Understandable though. And hope or wish him the best and hope to see him regularly in the NHL because I think, I still think he can end up sticking. Um, last but not least on the honorable mentions, and it's ironic, you know, I did these in alphabetical order, but Ostap Safin is the last on here, and he was the one of this group that I had the highest hopes for. Now, I knew with Safin, when they took him fourth round, 115th overall in 2017, I knew that he was boomer bust. But because of that, and because power forwards can take a while to get their game rounded out, I had really high hopes for him. And I held out on him a long time. I think the last time I did a top 20 list, when I put out a blog, I think I had, and I will put this out in blog form. It won't be, the podcast will be going up before the blog's out, but I will put this on my site at some point. I still got to finish it up, uh, the writing aspect of it, but... Uh, yeah, with Safine, I, I really just fingers crossed, like, man, if this kid ever puts it together, they have a stud. And it was just tough to ignore that upside. And one thing you should know about me when I rank these kids, I have a tough time ignoring upside. I'll... I'll concede upside most of the time. I will concede upside to ready to play or could play right now. Like, I don't care if you can be a number six defenseman. 
I don't care if you can be a fourth-line winger. Those guys are a dime a dozen. That's, that's no value. You can go get those guys in free agency. You, you know, hey, a number six, six right-shot defenseman. That guy's got to be worth more than the guy who's got top four upside, but he's further away, right? No, because you can go sign Michael Stone tomorrow, who's a number six right-shot defenseman. Like that's you get them for seven fifty, you get those guys every year. Like it, it just doesn't doesn't mean anything. So Safine was an upside guy that I was always higher on the most because of that. But I have zero issue with all of these guys. I have zero issue with any of these guys being lost. Safine, I know was a case of they didn't qualify him. They shouldn't have qualified him. He's had his chance. He was getting healthy scratched in the AHL in his third, well, his third year on his ELC. I can't remember if this is his third year in Bakersfield. But, I mean, he was up and down from the East Coast. Like, he just, he wasn't working. And maybe it will. Maybe the switch will go on for him at some point as a prospect. And, you know, he pops and we're looking at it and someone's going, oh, fucking Oilers, they gave up on this kid. Yeah, they remember this. They should have given up on that kid. They should have. He was not coming close. If if Safin were anything close, anything, they would have kept him. Because there's too much upside there. He's 6'5. He's a good skater for 6'5. Like, he's got skill. He's tough. When he's engaged. He's a tough fucker to play against. But he's rarely engaged. Just, yeah, it, it, just, it just never happened. Um, let's move on. Honorable mentions. And the first one on the honorable mention is pretty controversial. It's Tyler Benson as an honorable mention. Here's the thing with Tyler Benson. This is another thing you got to know about me and the way I rank guys. First of all, is Tyler Benson a prospect? That's debatable. Came up last year, played half the season in Edmonton, didn't get sent down till late February, I believe. He got his first goal against Minnesota in that dreadful Sunday night game. It was uh, the first loss, I think, under Woodcroft. It was a schedule loss. It wasn't... You know, they had no chance. I think it was their fifth game in seven days, playing back-to-back, so it was just horrible. Um, yeah, Benson was sent down after that. So it's debatable whether you want to even call him a prospect. The other thing is, too, as I record this, it looks like he's at least 13th, 14th forward. So it looks like he's on the team. Just signed his new deal. Uh, I got him as an honorable mention. He's a better player than a lot of these guys on this list. He'll have a better career than, than maybe half the guys on this list, if not more. Um, it's not going to happen for the Oilers. At least it looks very unlikely. I shouldn't say it won't. It looks very unlikely that it'll happen for the Oilers. The big thing with me with Benson is I think he'll 
he can play three to five hundred games in the NHL. But I think to start, he needs a top nine role with an organ with a rebuilding organization, and he needs to be just left in that role. Third line winger, go to Anaheim, be on the third line for the Ducks, and just spend a season in that role. And I bet by the end of that season, Tyler Benson would be looked at as a as a bona fide. He would have solidified himself as an NHL as an NHL player. But that's not. I don't see that happening in Edmonton. We'll see. This camp, this is the last shot he's he's got this season. This camp is massive. I haven't hated his skating as much as a lot of other people have. For me, it's not his skating. It's his pace that he plays with. His pace of play is dreadful. I said it a couple years ago when I started to get worried about him. I said, this kid's got to do something. He's got to do something to separate himself from other kids. There are two or three kids in every organization, just like Tyler Benson, where they're right on the cusp. They're too good for the AHL, but they're not good enough for the NHL. Benson needs to start adding something to his game that separates him. You started to see that. He started to play a little more greasy under Dave Tippett. Now, I loathe Dave Tippett for benching him. I think I brought this up just recently, that game against Winnipeg, where the refs made two horrific calls on Benson. Both were obvious dives. And the refs know it, too. Like, that's the other thing you'll never convince me of. The refs know that Pionk, and I can't remember who the other defenseman was for the Jets, were diving. But Benson's the rookie. Gotta teach the rookie a lesson, don't we? No, you don't. That's not your fucking job. Your fucking job is to officiate the hockey game. Not to teach players lessons. Not to give preferential treatment to veterans over rookies. Not to manage the game. It's to officiate the fucking game. You Fucking hacks. And it's not your fault. It's the league. It's Coley. Ah, Coley's a good guy, those soups. Ah, he's a good guy. Shut the fuck up. That man is leaving that job in a massive scandal. <laughs> and I don't care what anyone tells me. The personality traits scream that that man has more skeletons in his closet than are at a New York cemetery. Like, just horrific. Anyway, with Benson. I He played greasier. He needs that pace of play. And you know what? Maybe that'll be improved over the summer. Maybe he'll... He has the skill. He has the skill to step in this fall and shock everyone to be what Ethan Bear was three years ago where he steps in and you're going, whoo, that kid got after it this summer. 
and look at the result. Bear went from a kid who was a good AHL player, just like Benson, to a top four NHL defenseman. And it wasn't, his numbers showed, it wasn't just, well, they needed someone. Nope. He was a legitimate top four defenseman. Benson has that type of talent. But I can't, from everything I've seen with Tyler Benson, I can't imagine it's going to happen in Edmonton and therefore he's just an honorable mention. Next up, this is just a kid I like. I can't put him on my list because I haven't seen him enough. But knowing what I do know about his game, I really like him. Like, I'm really excited for his potential down the road. Maxim Dejenkin. Seventh rounder, 193rd overall, 2019. Undersized for a center, 5'10". He's listed at 168. That, that was his draft weight. Who knows what he's up to now. I, could, I just could see him being that... J.G. Pajot-type center, where he's just that third-line spark-plug center who just plays with a lot of energy, plays a good 200-foot game, can chip in with 30 even strength points, can kill penalties. Like I just see him as that guy. Because the thing that I liked about Dejankin when they drafted him is he was an even though he's a Russian kid, he's an intangibles guy. Always wore the C, always hardest worker. Always, you know, his skating was fine. It wasn't great, but it, he was quick. He, he wasn't, you know, his skating wasn't going to hold him back, you know, from everything I read and then saw. Like, I remember one of the first times I seen him was, um, oh, what was the tournament that the AJ kids went to in the fall of 2019? Carter Savoy went to it, uh, Mike Benning. Uh, it was basically a, I'm trying to think, was it a Canadian? Anyway, whatever the tournament was there. The first game they played was against DeJankin, and he scored early. And I kind of made a point, like, remember when he scored? And I went, oh, yeah, I forgot about that kid. And that's when I started watching him a little bit closer and following him a little bit more. Like I say, I can't rank him in all honesty because I just haven't seen enough. I've watched maybe 10 games of his. Maybe that's even more than, uh, yeah, I just I haven't seen him enough. But I do like everything I had seen and then everything that I had read. And it was more, there's a lot more that I read on him than seen, but really like him. Uh, another kid who I'm not going to get too into that I know very well, but uh, Ryan Fanti, goaltender, going to play for Bakersfield this year, going to split the net with, well, he's going to compete with one of the next guys on the list and Chet Pickard. Uh, It's going to be a three-horse race. I would guess one of them goes to the East Coast. Fanti's probably the top candidate to go to the East Coast to start. Let me preference that, to start, because Fanti's the rookie out of the three. Uh, ninety nine, late ninety nine, born Thunder Bay kid. He was signed on March twenty eighth by the team. Um, you know, I won't pretend to know a ton about Ryan Fanti, but from everything I've seen 
everything I've read. Good size, 6'3", 194. Moves very well, very fluently. Um, seems to play very relaxed, which I like. That's actually a skill. Now, in saying that, is he quick enough? We'll see. Um, goaltenders are a crapshoot. I think we all agree on that. So it's so much more about his mental makeup than it is about his actual game. It looks to me like he's got enough skill to make it. That's how it looks. But again, we're going to see. Another honorable mention, Jeremiah Lindwall. Their last pick, 7th round, 200th overall in 2020. Again, not someone who I've watched a lot of. 6'2", Moves pretty well for a kid that size. IQ looks nothing to complain. You know, looks like a really intelligent player. From everything I've heard, the work at, or heard and read, the work ethic, really good. Looks like a potential third-line winger. Probably far too early to tell. With Lindwall... Like, he had a worse 2022 than he did 2021. 2021, it was actually trending really well. And not that last year was that bad for him. It's just the stats were slightly down. You know, he played 37 games for Moto for the Alvanskin team. He had four assists. The year before when he played for Moto in the Alvanskin, he had two goals, three assists, five points in 36 games. No goals in those 37 games. Moto, the J20 team, six games, five points, three goals, two assists. The year before, eight games, five goals, four assists for nine points. You know, like everything was just slightly up the year before. Again, a kid who we'll see. But honorable mention because he's got a toolkit that's you know, he's intriguing. He doesn't have as much time as a Russian kid like Dejenkin because, you know, the Swedes got, you know, a quicker clock than the Russians do. It's just the way the it works with prospects. Sorry, I lost my place a little bit here, just trying to find it. That's why I'm kind of stuttering. Uh, yeah, so it, Lindwall, I've liked everything I've seen. I, again, a kid that I've probably seen... 12 times liked him didn't you know nothing jumped out about him when I watched him you know nothing to get overly excited about but looked like a kid who could hold his own and yeah we'll we'll see a kid who I want to see in Bakersfield I guess that's the big thing with Lindwall and Dejenkin is I want to see these kids in Bakersfield A kid I don't want to see in Bakersfield is someone who I had had ranked 16th the last time I did this. Thomas Missouri. Woof. Sixth round, 162nd overall in 2019. He couldn't get in the lineup in Pro- at Providence. He's 21. Oh, he's got he's six four. He had a ton of filling out to do when he was here. I don't even know if he was at 
this dev camp. I don't think he was. Which probably tells you where the organization is at with him. Because college kids can come. They have to pay their own way. But they can go to development camps. Oh, you can't crack the lineup. Providence is just an okay team. If you're anything of an NHL prospect, you should at least be cracking the lineup at 21. At 21! Now, in fairness to Missouri, this is a kid who this regime would probably love to draft right now. Like Philip Angras. Who was the other kid, the, the Finnish kid that they took in this year's draft? It's like, what? What? This kid, uh, Joel, was it Joel Mata? Like, what? What, what are you drafting this? Like, this kid's, this kid's older than Mike Smith. What the fuck are you doing drafting him? I don't get it. I don't get it. With that one, comes from Vermont. You know, maybe Todd Woodcroft is telling the organization something that nobody else knows about how Mata's actually really good. But uh, there's nothing with Mata that looks like he would be very good. Um, last one of the honorable mentions, Olivier Rodrigue. And it's simple. I'm really dragging here. I'm already almost an hour in and I haven't even talked all about the Woodstock documentary as much as I wanted to. Um, yeah, Rodrigue just hasn't, he hasn't progressed, man. I hated that they traded up for him end of the second round in 2018, 62nd overall. Absolutely hated the trade. Felt like they just did it because his dad was in the organization. Uh, didn't understand it when they had just done the same thing with Stuart Skinner the year before, and Skinner had looked good in 2018. There was like no reason at all to trade up and get another goaltender. Remember, at this time, too, they had Dylan Wells still, too. And Dylan Wells didn't have as good a 2018 season as he did 2017. 2017 was the best goaltender in the OHL. 2018, he dipped. But it's like, okay, you've got Wells, you've got Skinner. Not saying they shouldn't be drafting a goaltender, but you shouldn't be trading up to take one at the end of the second round. Like, what the fuck are you doing? They did. It's blown up in their face. The one thing with Rodrigue, what is he, 22? Just turned 22. The talent is there. Mentally, that's going to be the hurdle he has to clear. If he can learn to play relaxed, he's a star. But that is a tough hurdle to get over. His game right now, it is a mess. He's going to compete with Fanti. Chet Pickard ain't going to the East Coast League. It's going to be Fanti or it's going to be Rodrigue. It'll start off as Fanti, in my opinion. Rodrigue's younger by almost a full year. But, Like, it's go time, Olivier. Their goaltending, without a doubt, once next season begins, 
their goaltending is the weakness of this organization. Because we all know the guy who's not going to be on these lists anymore. He's going to be the backup. And we'll get to him. That means in their organization, for future goaltenders, you've got Rodrigue, you've got Fanti, and Chet Pickard. I mean, is Chet? No, it's Chet. Keep calling him Chet. Calvin Pickard. Who's been screaming at me for about half an hour saying, It's Calvin, not Chet, you fucking idiot. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Chet was the older brother. Chet was the higher drafted of the two. It's not Chet, though. It's Calvin. <sighs> Why am I still recording? Yeah, the Olivier Rodrigue pick has been horrible. It's gotten worse than I thought it would. Like, when they did it, I thought, okay, maybe their thinking here is he'll put up huge numbers in the queue. He'll be a star goaltender in the queue. He'll probably be a star goaltender for Team Canada at the World Juniors. They can at, they'll at least have a high-profile prospect that they can then flip. He's been a bust. Third goaltender for Team Canada. Do you remember that Team Canada? That, that goaltending situation? Joel Hofer won the net. I can't even remember who started out as the guy. I'm blanking on who started out as the guy. And I was just hoping that Rodrigue would get a chance and Hunter didn't even look at him. Dale Hunter did not even look at him. Went right to Joel Hofer. Too bad, so sad. Right to Joel Hofer, and Rodrigue didn't even get a look. It was the only time Rodrigue's looked like he was supposed to was after that tournament. He then, his second half of the Q season that year, he tore it up. He was amazing. That's the only time since the Oilers have drafted him that he's looked right, that he's looked like the kid. That's what, four years now? Like, time's running out already. But again, huge talent. Hopefully, for Oilers fans, and of course the Oilers organization, hopefully he starts to put it all together. It has not been pretty so far. All right, finally. Damn near done an hour of this. Finally, we're to the top 20. I got to speed this up, though. Can't believe I've already done an hour or close to. Number 20 on my list. Noah Philp. Part of the reason, when you get down here, I'm not going to lie. 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, and 12. Honestly, for me, you can put these guys in any order. It's not, they're not write-offs. I'm not saying they're write-offs. But it's just, you're splitting hairs in my mind. You're split, maybe with, oh man, I feel like I got a sneeze, but I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> maybe with 13 and 14, you separate them from this group. But, yeah, I I don't know. 
it just it, you you honestly I, in my opinion you can put them in any any order and it's fine for me Noah Philp is twenty uh, for those who don't know him you know they signed him out of the U of A six three one ninety eight right shot center uh, my comp on him Pierre Edward Belmar that's who that's who my comp is on him these comps aren't exact there's a few that are really spot on uh, with. Philip, it's more so thinking about like he can be what Belmar is, is that fourth line center who's just dependable. That's not to put a cap on his ceiling, but that's just kind of the type of guy that I see him becoming. Philip's possibly got a great shot to make this team. This organization, especially with Marodi gone, they're going to be... This season, they're going to be looking at potential fourth-line centers coming in. I don't know if that's where they're going to play Derek Ryan, but they're going to be looking at if Derek Ryan's gone or like if he leaves him free agency or retires. This is last year Derek Ryan's deal, and he's, what, 36? If Derek Ryan ends up retiring or moving on, you potentially are going to need someone to fill that Derek Ryan spot. Noah Phillips, perfect, potentially, to fill that role. We'll see how he progresses. He looked great in development camp. He was also a 23-year-old guy playing against a lot of 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. So he should look great in that camp. We'll see. He'll spend... Well, he'll likely spend the whole year in Bakersfield. Maybe he gets a call up here or there. But he's got a clear path. His brother didn't sign in Edmonton. Everybody lost their skull. You know, whatever. <laughs> I didn't blame Luke Philp probably would have signed in Edmonton had the path been there for him to make the show. He signed in Calgary because the Flames had a depleted system. Like, more than anything, I'm not saying that's the only reason he signed with the Flames. I'm not meaning to shit on the Flames that much. Excuse me. But when Noah became a free agent, the Oilers had a much more depleted system than when Luke was looking. So, yeah, it's a good opportunity for Noah Philp. Uh He's not a great skater. He's, you know, I, you'd never put a cap on anybody's potential. But realistically, I think he can be a fourth-line center. Uh, he's got the ceiling to be a good third line center, I would say. Uh, yeah, he's, he's an important prospect for the organization, in my opinion. Not super important, but he, he's got a path, and I'm sure the organization is looking at it the same way that I am. It's like, okay, th- this could be the next kid. We wouldn't have to worry about going out in free agency and spending a little bit more than we'd want to to replace Derek Ryan if we have to. Ideally... Ryan's good for another year. The Oilers extend him one more year. Philp gets another year to develop. It's a win-win. Win-win-win. That's number five. Number four is win-win. Number five is win-win-win. That's where everyone wins, including me. If you don't get that reference, we're not friends. <sighs> number 19, I got Luca Menzenberg. Ah, knew I was going to do that. Always do that with Munzenberger. 
I always call him Munzenberg. I just leave it at there. I guess I'm too lazy to pronounce the last part of his name. Luca Munzenberger. Um, Vermont kid. The Todd Woodcroft connection strikes again. Third round, 90th overall, 2021. Uh, I got his comp as Jan Ruda. Uh, his comp could be a lot of different guys. You could say a bigger... Chris Russell, you could say Steve Stales. Just that that hard-working, you know, willing, very willing to do the dirty work type defenseman. Um, he was drafted for his intangibles far more than his skill. Looked good for the Germans at the World Juniors when they were happening last year. Uh, I don't know the situation if he's he's playing in this year's World Juniors or in this summer's makeup World Juniors or not for Germany. I would think he would be, uh, but I'm honestly not sure. Um, yeah, it, you know, he was he was a kid who, when they took him third, and by the way, this is the pick that the Oilers got for moving back two spots when they gave up the right to take Jesper Wallstadt. They got this pick along with the 22nd pick. Um, you know, it looked like a terrible pick in the moment. So far, the pick looks a lot better than it did. Now, I don't know if that means that Munzenberger is that good, but he looks a lot better than any scout was willing to give him credit for after the 2021 draft. So we'll see. Again, it's not a kid that I know a ton of. I'm not going to pretend that I know a ton about Munzenberger. Just like I'm not going to pretend that I know a ton about the next kid. But again, I talked about it. Upside for me is everything or is it holds huge weight on these lists. So a guy who's 6'4", 216 and has a lot of skill holds some weight for me. Maxim Barry Osgan. Russian kid, obviously. He's massive. He's massive and skilled. He's a project. He's put up some incredible numbers. Like, I'm trying to think now off the top of my head, and I'm not going to be able to think of it off the top of my head. So I'm going to have to look it up. But there were, was it this year, that he put up numbers... I thought it was this year's MHL numbers. It might have been last year's MHL numbers. Were better than... They were better than Kucherov's at the same age. I think it was this year's MHL numbers. Which were 35 points in 22 games. Bad playoffs, though. He only had one assist in seven games. Oof. He also played 30 games for Locomotive. Just one goal, one assist. So he split time the last two seasons with between the K and the M, both for Locomotive. He's, he's put up really intriguing numbers. From the film I've seen, from the you know the little bits and pieces here and there that I've seen, games that I've watched of his, 
He's super skilled. He he looks a, there's a little bit of Poliarvi there, not in Poliarvi's upside, but in Pugliar, like when Pugliarvi, Pugliarvi doesn't show much of this in, in other levels or hasn't shown much of this at other levels. But in the NHL, he looks awkward. I think we all agree. Pugliarvi looks really awkward when he's out on the ice. Barry Oskin kind of looks like that when he plays. But there's so much upside here. And they he could, you know, they've got him in Russia till he's eligible for unrestricted free agency. So they still got a lot of time before they have to make a decision on him or try to bring him over. That'll be the other thing. Maybe he is good, but maybe he won't want to come over. Very possible. But I got him 18th on the list just for that upside. Big and skilled. He's he's physical too. Like he's not going to truck guys. But everything you see, he uses his body. He's physical out there. He seems to, watching him, he seems to like to bang. That's what she said. He gets himself, you know, he, he's physical along the wall. He's, he goes to the front of the net, like he gets his nose dirty. He does not shy away from it at all. So, intriguing guy. I didn't, I couldn't think of a comp for Barry Oskin, just being honest. I could have put someone down, like, um, who was the Russian that uh, Tampa had? Was it Evgeny Artukin? Was that his name? I could have put one of the uh, oversized Russians down from the 99 or 2000 drafts. Yeah, he plays a lot like uh, Nick Antropov, actually. Uh, You know what? He actually plays a lot like Alexei Mikhanov. Got the guy that he really reminds me of is Smirnov. And for those who don't know, yes, I think it was Alexei Smirnov. First round pick of the Mighty Ducks in 2000. There was, it's not just a joke about the uh, drink. Uh, you know, there was an actual, there was an actual Smirnov. Smirnov, not Smirnov. I didn't go with a comp. Because, and it's tough too with guys like this. Because... You know, you think of you think of certain guys, and you go, "Well, he's he's skilled, but I don't see him becoming that." And then you think of bigger players who aren't skilled, and it's like, "Well, he's better than that." Can be tough. Can be tough. And some of the comps too with me, I try to be conservative. I try to be as spot on as I can think of. And you know, sometimes it's just you either got to go a player that's much better than you want to or a player who's much worse than you want to and with the comps we're also trying to be talking about more about the style comparison than we are anything else but you know as soon as anyone hears or reads these comps they go oh oh, he's got him as this guy oh my god Although I will say, when Cole Caulfield was compared in The Athletic to Alex Ovechkin, Jesus, fuck. (sighs) 17, I got Philip Kemp. I really like Philip Kemp. I feel like Philip Kemp's going to play in the show. I think he's going to be a bottom pair right shot defenseman. 
he might even be someone, and you're going to hear this over the next three three guys because they're all the same player. Remember I talked about this with Berglund. There might be three guys in a row who I was talking about when I was talking about Berglund. Philip Kemp kicks it off. Gatekeeper. Mark Mathot. Why do I say Mark Mathot? Because Mark Mathot was Eric Carlson's gatekeeper. Mark Mathot was, in my mind, nothing more than a number five or six defenseman. But he fit perfectly as Eric Carlson's D partner because he was his gatekeeper. Mathot could defend, so Carlson could roam. Philip Kemp has that kind of ability. And who do the Oilers have? Philip Kemp's a right shot. The Oilers got another Philip named Philip Broberg. Kemp potentially could be for Broberg what Mathot was for Carlson. Now, before you say it, not a fucking chance do I see Philip Broberg as Eric Carlson. Not even close. But I do see Philip Kemp as potentially being Mark Mathot. My comp on him is Dan Girardi, who was his favorite player growing up. And he has said, he said this to Stoffer when he signed. He's he's patterned his game after guys like Girardi and Rob Scuderi. Pure defenders. I like that. Philip Kemp is just a kid who goes out there and just gets the job done defensively. Does not give a shit about offensive numbers. I love that. I'm a big fan. Big fan. I've got a guy one spot ahead who honestly it's weird I got this guy ahead of camp yet I don't have this guy ahead of camp but because there's more ceiling there's more upside more potential with this next kid than with camp I've got to put him at least one spot higher on the list and that's Michael Kesselring but if you ask me who do I think has a better shot of making it? I think it's Kemp. I think without a doubt it's Kemp. But you can find Philip Kemp. You can find that guy. Kesselring's got a little bit more of an off, or not an offensive game, but an all-around game. A little more dynamic with Kesselring. I don't like the way Kesselring moves. Like I, I or it's. I think he's got a long ways to go. Kesselring was 6th round, 164th overall, 2018 draft. My claim to fame on Michael Kesselring is I had him in that spot in my 2018 draft preview for the Oilers. I looked at him and I, by then I had figured out Shirelli's pattern that late in the draft they looked to take a right shot defenseman who's got a lot of eligibility left so they don't have to sign him right away. The guys that Shirelli did that with were Matt Benning in Boston and then they did it with John Marino. They did it with the next guy on this list. They did it with Philip Kemp. 
They did it with Michael Kesselring. They didn't do it in 2019 because Peter Shirley didn't have a job. And it was fucking amazing. It might have been better than an orgasm. Like, you know how sometimes when you orgasm... I just... I won't talk about it right now. There's a guy on Twitter in the Oilers world. I don't think he'd ever talk about orgasms, but... He tries really hard to be funny. And it's a really hard follow. It's a really hard follow. Because the guy is very up to date on all things Oilers. And then he tries to be funny. And he tries to be a social justice warrior. And it's just exhausting. If you're a caring person, why do you feel the need to advertise it? Like, as someone who has a reputation of being a pretty fucking good dude, I don't ever feel the need to advertise how much I care. Because it's not going to do anything. I remember one guy... There was way more than one guy. But I remember one guy in particular tweeting out a big thread after uh, uh, the George Floyd murder about how, how mad he was. And I just remember thinking, like, yeah, yeah, you're not human if you're that seeing that doesn't fucking make you want to just go and shoot that cop. You know, wish that you were there in that moment so you could have done something. But when you're advertising that you're angry and like you just, you know, you're not even laying out how you're going to make a difference. You're just, ah, I'm so angry. Everybody look at how angry I am. I am the angriest of all the angry I just don't, like, I just, what goes on in those people's heads? Like, I just kind of don't think it's legitimate. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong. As someone who's, um, you know, seen a therapist for seven years now, uh, I talk about this a lot. One of the things that I get the pat on the back for the most is that I'm self-aware, um, I like I'm apparently extremely self-aware. So, you know, I take that as a badge of honor. I won't lie. Uh Yeah, I I feel like it helps me make observations like that and I just I just don't buy people who advertise their rage. I'm sorry, I don't. I pretty apolitical. You know, there's, I, I, and I talked about this with one of my close friends. It's, I, f- I feel like I don't have a party that represents me. I, I feel like the right is too extreme in some things and the left is too extreme in others. And I'm just sitting here like, I, I think both these sides are just whacked and just absolute messes. And I, I just want common sense to win out at the end of the day. You know, there's things that we'll never agree on like abortion and that's fine. 
well, it's not fine, but it's, it's like we have to learn to live with it. Um, have to learn to live with that we'll never agree. I hope that's clear. <laughs> Get a lot of hate tweets over that. But yeah, I just, I'll never, ever, ever buy people who, because like, let's be honest, it's mostly liberals who do this. And they're just looking to advertise that they're good people. They feel this need to advertise it. Like, wait, what? Motherfuckers, your tweets on how you're a better person than anyone else aren't doing shit. You know, and I'm sure you're smart enough to know that. So what are you doing? You're clearly, you're trying to convince other people that you care. But if you actually cared, you wouldn't have that insecurity. So you wouldn't feel the need to advertise it. Anyway, Michael Kesselring. Not that I got off on a tangent at all. There's just a lot outside there. He's 6'4", he's 205, right shot. His, I, I, we'll see about his mobility. His actual speed isn't bad, but his acceleration, his explosiveness, whatever you want to call it, not good. His agility, his turns, his, ed, his edge work, not great. Pace of play is slow to my eye. Maybe some others who know more than I do will disagree with that. You know, he needs time, but the upside is there. You know, there's some, there is some offensive skill in his game. There is skill in general. There's more skill in my mind than Philip Kemp. But Kemp is far more polished and a far better pure defender. Kessel, you know, but I can't put... Kessel ring lower than Kemp because the upside is higher. And if we're splitting hairs, I'm taking upside over sure thing. If Kemp was a sure thing in the top four, it's no fucking comparison. But Kemp's a sure thing to me as a number six. And he's not a sure thing. It's the other thing we should clarify. 15, Vincent DeHarnay. Now, DeHarnay is more like Philip Kemp, but DeHarnay is special in the sense of he's 6'6", maybe 6'7". He's a monster. He's not overly physical. He's not like another defenseman that we'll have on this list. My comp on DeHarnay, I think, is very good. I see him as a Hal Gill. Hal Gill was a giant. Hal Gill left everyone wanting more on the physicality side of things. But what got overlooked, especially in his time, was that Hal Gill was an excellent, just pure defender. That's who I see DeHarnay being able to be. Late bloomer, another pick. Technically, he's a free agent that was signed on March 2nd of this year. But DeHarnay, even though I don't have it in the notes, the exact pick, he was an Oilers draft pick initially. In 2016, he was already a 20-year-old. Seventh round, I'm not sure of the position. 
in the 16 draft, there's a chance it would have been 190-something. I think. Uh, Oh, I do have them up on Elite Prospects. So we'll find that out right now. 183 in 2016. So there you go. He's intriguing. He's intriguing. And he's listed on Elite Prospects as 216. It's probably way more than that now. I would say he's 240. He's a big bitch. (laughs) That's, That's a human eraser. Like, I know it sounds like I'm overrating size, but, and maybe I am. Maybe that's exactly what I'm doing. But DeHarnay, out of these three, he's the closest to playing. And that size is just, if, it can, if he can play, that size is very valuable. He also can move the puck pretty well, too. I know I've heard Keith Gretzky talk about this before. He's got more skill than people realize. Not a crusher. Not a crusher. He'll get his nose dirty, but he's not like another massive defenseman that we'll talk about later on this list. Ironically, we've got another defenseman at 14. The difference with this defenseman is he's much further away. Still got a year left in the dub. But I'm talking about Max Warner. Maximus Warner, to be exact. But let's just be honest, he'll be called Max. 6'3, 185. Right shot defenseman, seventh round, 212th overall in the 21 draft. Um, started looking into Warner towards the end of this season because I didn't realize his stats were very good. I knew when they drafted him, the book on him was essentially the same book as Camp, Castlering, DeHarnay, Munzenberger. Like, it was essentially the same book. He put up decent numbers, though, this season. And all of a sudden, it's like, what do they have here? I had to remind myself what the numbers were. But 23 points in 55 games, more intriguing than the 23 and 55, seven points in nine playoff games. I knew they had a rugged defender, but I didn't know they had a guy with some interesting offensive upside. Now, in what I've seen, I don't know if I would call it huge offensive potential by any means. But there's nothing wrong with being a subtle, stay-at-home type who knows their role, but yet can still chip in offensively. I mean, you know, Steve Smith came up as that guy. And Steve Smith ended up putting up 50-point seasons. So it's interesting with Warner. It's interesting. That's why I got him at 14. And again, the potential at this point gets him up to that point. Some people would have him as an honorable mention still. That's fair. That's totally fair. I'm intrigued, though. I'm super intrigued to see what Warner ends up doing this season. Someone to really keep your eye on. Um, 
could he make a push for Team Canada in December? You know, obviously he's not on, on the summer edition, but could he make a push for the World Junior Team? He might. Unlikely. Don't get me wrong. Unlikely. But you never know. You know, it, it's, it's intriguing what they've got there. Because he moves, per, like to my eye, this is just to my eye, he moves pretty well, he moves the puck pretty, there's not a, there's not a glaring weakness that I see. So that intrigues me. Is he an elite skater? Hell no. He's not an elite skater, but he's got passable skating in my eyes, or at least he will once he adds the pounds and adds the strength. Yeah, really, really intrigued by Max Warner. And very similar to Max Warner is at 13, another dub kid, same draft. I got Jake Chase on, who missed a large portion of last season. But came back, looked real good for Brandon. Kind of similar to Warner where he's got good, good frame and just needs to pack on the pounds. You know, 6'2", 181. Fourth round, 116th overall, 21 draft. Like, his calling card is going to be playing the right way. Like, I, in my opinion, he's a guy who... How do I explain this? You could say this for every single player in the Oilers organization. But with Chason specifically, I could see him emulating the style that Zach Hyman brings to the table. Will he end up being a top six guy? Maybe not. But can he be an effective top nine guy? Absolutely. You know, Warren Fogel's another guy who I think of that Chase on has a chance to be like. He's got some skill in his game. He skates pretty well. Uh, But I don't think the offensive upside is there. To think, hey, you know, potential top six guy. No, I think you're looking at a top nine guy or bottom six guy, however you want to say it. Um, but he's he's intriguing, you know. And from everything I know about Chason, he's got an excellent, he, you know, he showcases excellent IQ out on the ice, and. You know, I've tried to ask around, you know, Western kid, people know him. I've asked around a bit. From everything I understand, kid's super, you know, head down, hardworking type kid. Really intriguing. Sounds like from everything I know, he checks off all the intangibles. The next kid up checks them off in spades. Might be way too high for some people, but this is where I got him. Number 12 on my list, James Hamblin. Free agent signing March 2nd, 2022. My comp on him is Yachty Gord. Oh, I haven't been saying some of the comps. Oh, geez. Anyway. Oh, well. Um, You know, I'm sure that's a stunning ranking for some, but I just, I believe this kid is going to will his way into the league. Like he doesn't have anything in his arsenal physically that says he'll make it. But super high on IQ from everything. And this is a kid I have a little more intel on than some of the others. From everything I know, an unmatched work ethic. 
determination, you know, those are his calling cards. Like, and the Yanni Gord comp is is him to a T. Gord was a long time playing in the AHL before he really started to get noticed. And by the way, I talked about B. Kerlock earlier. I am well aware that Yanni Gord was his comp on Hamblin. When he tweeted that out, I had already wrote this section of this. I've had this write-up done for a long time, to tell you the truth. And I've just never got around to put it out. So we had a laugh about it because I took a shot of the screen when... uh, when he said that, because I think I was working on this blog when he put that tweet out. Um, he knows I didn't steal it. Just so you know. Because I'm sure there's someone listening to this that would be flipping out right now. Saying, Did you stole that comp? No, I, I didn't steal that comp. We ironically both had the same comp. And actually, in fairness to both of us, well, I can't say for him, but for me... I might have heard it, no, honestly, Stoffer might have said it one day, and that may be where I picked it up. If he did, it would have been over a year ago. It would have been probably training camp last year. He, on, in full fairness, he might have said that. I honestly can't remember if I came up with that on my, but I always try to credit someone if I've, if they've said a comp and I go, you know what? That's really good. I got to use that. I always try to credit that person. But I, th- I think given that I didn't have it written in the blog that the Yanni Gord comp was someone else's, I don't think it was. I think it was one that I just came up with, you know, putting the pieces together that Gord was forever in the AHL and Hamlin's going to end up being quite a while in the AHL. But keep your eye on him. Like, the kid the kid skates well. He's only 5'9". You know, that's going to be his hurdle is having an under... Like, he's probably only going to be a top nine guy. That will be his or his biggest challenge is overcoming that as a grinder. We'll see if he can, but I think he can. I just think he's going to be a kid who wills himself into the league. Okay. That kind of wraps up the bottom tier for me of prospects. Like I said, from 12 to 20, you can put them in pretty much any order. You could even have some of the honorable mention guys in there instead of other guys. Totally fair. That is how I had it. Now we get to the divide. And this is what I feel the divide is. I feel like there's a clear-cut top 11 of Oilers prospects. There's another tier in here. In fact, there's three guys in this next tier followed by, I think it's five guys in the next tier, and then there's a clear-cut, another tier after that. But this is, but it's a top, I think it's a clear-cut top 11. Now, in the order you want to put it in, I don't know. This is the order I got it in uh, to each their own. At 11, I got Carter Savoy. And... 
you know, I got him. My comp on Savoy has always been Mike Camilleri. That undersized, shoot-first kind of guy who doesn't skate exceptionally well, but skates well enough to get there, who doesn't battle like you want them to, but when pushed, would have no problem sticking a guy in the nuts. I have When I saw Carter Savoy play a ton in the AJ... And then a lot following him at Denver. When this kid's motivated, he's a legit, very legit prospect. As he's gone up the ranks, he's played up to his competition. That's why I think he has a very excellent shot at making it. Um, geez, I feel like I'm starting to get a cold. Um... <laughs> He's got the skill he's got the skill to make it. I had another guy right in front of him actually who I had lower than him in the 2020 draft rankings. I've got that kid higher than Savoy now cuz I just I just feel like that guy has more elements to his game even though Savoy's a better skater. Savoy's probably got more skill a better shot and he's a little bit better skater yet I think that kid how do I put this he's going to be more he's going to do more of what a coach wants out of a guy than Savoy would do I don't see Savoy making it as anything of a grinder I think he's top six or bust But he's got that kind of skill to be a top six guy. A lot of guys are going to be rooting for him. St. Albert kid, every Oilers fan is clamoring for that big shot on the power play that McDavid can set up. I get it. (laughs) But those guys have a tough time cracking the NHL. The snipers are rarely one-dimensional at lower levels. Usually the pure snipers in the NHL have been multi-dimensional players at lower levels. You know, it's like in MLB how most players who make it, when they're coming up, they're the shortstop. Yet when they get to MLB, they're, they don't end up at shortstop. That's kind of how, or catcher, that catcher's the other one. Catcher or shortstop. Like, rarely do you see in the MLB draft a second baseman taken. You know, in my opinion, not that snipers shouldn't be drafted. Like, Savoy was phenomenal value where they got him, and I really like him as a prospect. I'm just thinking of those type of players in general. They get so overrated. Oh, Savoy went fourth round, 100th overall. That's where you should take that guy. Take them in the second round. You know, that's cool. Taking them top five picks. Like, how's Patrick Line working for you? Big shot. Big shot. Uh-huh. And nothing else. Like, it just, anyway. I won't go off on that tangent again. 
Because they're already At 10, like I said, I had this guy lower than Savoy going into the draft. But now I've got him one spot ahead of Savoy on this ranking. It's Ty Tulio. Phenomenal value. He was the next pick for the Oilers in that draft. Fifth round, 126th overall. My comp on him is Brendan Gallagher. Um, You know, another guy who... 600 goals and is in the Hall of Fame. I don't, or I didn't want to use the comp because A, it's too high of ceiling or too high of expectations for Tulio, and B, they're both Italian. I don't, I didn't want to do that, but it's tough to watch Tulio and think that, you know, or how do I put it? It's tough to watch him and think that guy can't be Dino Cicerelli. Like, he's just got so much fuck you in his game. He's not really... And that that's why the comp's Brendan Gallagher is because Gallagher does play greasy. But Gallagher has more of a... He's more fuck you than he is cheap. And that's how I feel like Tulio is. The skating is the huge question mark on Tulio. His skating is very suspect. We're going to see. We're going to see it's but if he can if he can get that skating to where it's passable, the Oilers got a player on their hands. Oh, they've got a player on their hands. But I can't put him higher than 10th because... And trust me, Tulio, that's someone this fan base will adore if he makes it. They will adore him. And he is someone, if we're ranking importance of prospects, he is one of the most important prospects. I would not... I would have a tough time partying with Ty Tulio. I'm not going to say I would not trade him, but there's other guys who are higher on this list who I'd much rather trade before I traded Ty Tulio. He is easily one of their most important prospects. Number nine, Matt Petrov. Probably too low for a lot of you. For me, it's... Right now, I see him as he reminds me a lot of Arthur Kaliev. Now, maybe that's because Kaliev, even though he's not out and out Russian, he's you know got the Russian name. Both OHL guys, both about the same size. Petrov has a phenomenal shot. What I loved about Petrov this season is he showed more of an overall offensive game. He showed that he's got a lot better vision than maybe he was given credit for. He's not just a sniper. He can score in multiple ways. I don't feel like he's in any way soft. From what I've seen, this kid doesn't shy away. No, I could be wrong on that because it's another kid who... I haven't seen a ton of. Um, The shot is definitely what has people buzzing. I love his hands just as much. 
His skating needs work, but I think it's passable. It's the play away from the puck that has me terrified. I always like to go to the interviews. I like that he's pretty fluent in English. And I like that he at least comes off as a really good kid. And he's a Milstein client. We know about the relationship with Holland and Milstein. I'm really giddy about Petrov. I can't put him higher than this. And I think this, the way I see it, this is actually a really excellent ranking. This is, this is basically saying that Petrov is their best prospect not playing pro hockey. And I mean, the, the two below him are playing pro hockey this season. Petrov's got another year to go in the O. So, yeah, the 200-foot game, though, that can come. That's coachable. If he's a coachable kid, that can be taught. We'll see. The The offensive upside is tremendous with Petrov. This is where the tier ends, and another tier. Now, the first guy in the tier, I'm not as high on as I was. Raphael Lavoie, and after the slow start last year, offensively, he put up an he put up good numbers. You know, take away that extremely slow start. Now I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say it was like one goal in fifteen games, and then he popped. But it's the play away from the puck, it's the skating. He has an amazing shot. I get it. Oh, his comp. I got his comp as Anthony Mantha because I feel like, and that one might be off, but I'm just, my thought process there is big guy who plays skilled and isn't super soft, but plays more on the perimeter than you'd like. Talent is there. Talent is there. 30 goal ability, it's there. Power forward ability, it's there. It's just, that motor was always the question. And last year especially, it was like, even though he's putting up the numbers after that slow start, it's the rest of the game isn't coming along. It's a big year for Lavoie. It's not make or break, but like think about this year. He's now going to have... Borgo and Tulio breathing down his neck for minutes in Bakersfield, at least on the right side. That's not even factoring in Carter Savoy breathing down his minutes too, or breathing down his neck for minutes. Like, it's a big year for Lavoie, so we'll see if he can answer. Marcus Niemelainen is seventh. And... I'm sure some of you would have him higher. The big Finn really impressed him when he was called up last year. Love how physical he plays. There's more to him, too. That's the exciting part. When Nima Linen was drafted, he was initially, he was thought to be a pretty safe, like for most of 2016, 
he was thought to be a pretty, like a lock for first-round pick. And he was a guy with huge upside who just left you wanting more offensively. I think he had one goal, seven assists, or one goal, six assists, seven points in his draft year. And I just remember the cry was like, this guy, this guy skates good. He moves the puck real well. You see flashes of his offensive game, but fuck, it's frustrating. I don't know if they said fuck, but it's so frustrating that he just, he's, he just has so much more to offer. And Nima Linen was a kid, when he went back to Finland, he had gotten forgot about until the last year when the Oilers had his eligibility, or had his rights. It came down to the 11th hour whether they were going to sign him or not. I think that was Scott Housen's last move in the organization, was signing Marcus Nima Linen. Boy, has it been a good decision. It's been a really good decision. There's more here. He can move the puck pretty well. Like he, he didn't showcase it last year. I think, you know, young defenseman, pace of play obviously is what it is. I think once he gets more comfortable, he'll show that he can move the puck better than you think. He moves good. Like He's another one of those guys who probably is a gatekeeper being a left shot defenseman. He probably... Assuming he sticks with the organization long run, probably ends up being the gatekeeper for Evan Bouchard. Just like I see Kemp is potentially, or maybe DeHarnay is potentially the gatekeeper for Broberg. Niemalainen could be that guy for Bouchard, or he might just be an excellent number five defenseman. And having a giant on your bottom pair who throws his weight around, can move the puck, has decent mobility. It's pretty good to have. Pretty good chip to have. Some of you are going to be surprised by this. I have Samarukov a spot higher. Because again, I feel like as much as I am really, really high on Nima Linen. I think the upside's bigger with Samarukov. I got Samarukov's comp as Essel Lindell. Uh, 6'3". I, his weight is listed at 196. I think we found out in camp last year. He's up to 215 at least. Being Russian, I fear how he got that way, but he's up to 215 at least. Um, here's another one for you. I'm going to do another podcast getting more into this but there's i'm trying to put together a podcast right now of top 10 maybe 15 maybe 20 maybe 25 of kind of hot take-ish takes on the oilers going into this season one of my bigger ones that is less hot takey and more just common sense sam rukov sticking with the team Samarukov will probably get plucked off waivers if he is sent back down. So he is very likely sticking as the number seven defenseman this year. A lot of a lot of people have Slater Cuckoo penciled into that spot. No. No, and Slater Cuckoo long run might end up coming back and being the number seven. But to start next year... 
Slater Cuckoo will clear waivers. Sam Rukov won't. I would be stunned if Sam Rukov gets put on waivers before the start of the season. Not saying it's impossible. This organization's done stranger things than that before. But this this kid has all... Forget the minus two in St. Louis. He had a bad night playing for the worst coach to have a bad night... For a kid to have a bad night for. Dave Tippett's philosophy in life is that you should be shot in the head if you're under 30. Dave Tippett's philosophy in life is if you fuck up in a hockey game... You should never see the ice ever again, and that will teach you. You should never, ever, 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 ever again play a game of hockey. And by doing that, you'll learn how to be a good hockey player. God, he was terrible. Oh! Samarukov went back down last season when he wasn't hurt. He played great for Bakersfield. Skating is good. Skating's real good. Obviously has the size. Moves the puck well. He's physical. He defends pretty well. There's top four defense or there's top four potential here with Samarukov. He can play either side. It's another thing. I don't know. I don't think they used him at all on the right side with Bakersfield, but I know in the O and when he went back to the K for a season, he played on the right side. I think he preferred to play on the right side, if I'm not mistaken. There is an excellent, excellent prospect here. He might be gone because they might end up losing him on waivers if they do feel like they need to send him back down. But we'll see. Oh, two hours in, or close to two hours in. And we got five to go. Marathon, people, marathon. Number five is Reed Schaefer in this marathon. The Oilers' first-round pick in this past year's draft Six three two fourteen. I got his comp as Wayne Simmons. I know Wayne Simmons had some thirty goal years. That's not what I mean. Um, I I think of a guy who Wayne Simmons has been most of his career, which would be a top nine guy who can throw when you need to, but he's not necessarily a heavyweight. He can chip in offensively, but he's not someone who you're going to game plan for defensively, and you're not going to feature offensively if you've got him on your team. He can be a complimentary scorer. You know, um, I think of a guy, you know, another comp that I like to use with Schaefer is if Ethan Morrow were in the league today. Ethan Morrow would be much more of a heavyweight type guy if he played today. But Ethan Morrow in his prime, 
Ethan Morrow was Pete Rose dismisses sexual misconduct questions. Huh. I'll have to look into that. Sorry, I've got my TV on when I shouldn't. Um, yeah, I just Simmons Morrow. I see Schaefer as that kind of guy. I was torn on the pick. Like I definitely didn't hate it. And I get what they're going for there. And this draft was a crapshoot. This organization needed a guy like this. There's a fear, especially when he was drafted 32nd overall, this is Mitch Morose. And I've heard Stoff say he's not Mitch Morose. Well, Mitch Morose wasn't Mitch Morose when the Oilers drafted him. He turned into Mitch Morose and teased us with an amazing start in his 20 or his 19-year-old season in the dub and then slowly became nothing in the pros. Oh, man. So if I'm not mistaken, I did a blog in like 2013 or 2014 laying out that maybe might have even been 2015 laying out the most important Oilers prospects. And it was, I think Moreau's was first. And I was talking about importance. And I wasn't talking about, yeah, Dreisaitl wasn't on the team yet. I can't remember when that was. But it was just talking about importance and how important it was. I might have said something like, their prospects that weren't their top picks or something along those lines. But yeah, it was talking about Moreau's being so important to them and Bogdan Yakimov being so important to them. Oh, yeah. God, they drafted horribly. I see, you know, there, there's a lot about Reed Schaefer that makes you go, eh, this kid's probably not going to be anything. It's all, it all depends on the work ethic, man. It really does. With a kid like this, it totally depends on the work ethic. From everything I can tell, I haven't done that much digging on him, but from everything I know, and this is a kid that I watch play. I mean, this is like, you know, he played for Spruce Grove in 2020 when I was, uh, when they were coming in and kicking the shit out of the Bobcats in that 2020 season. Spurs Grove was pretty good that year. Um, and the Bobcats were rebuilding, so do the math. Like, he, he always looked good in the AJ, but he was playing on a loaded Saints team, too. So it's not like he was seeing a ton of ice. With how big of a crapshoot this past draft was, I think at that 30-second pick, he was well worth rolling the dice on. It is so about what his work ethic will be. His skating at this moment is not, it's not going to pass the test. He needs to big-time work on his skating. His skating isn't horrible. There's room for a lot of improvement there. But he has heavy feet. He has really heavy feet. Potential is there, though. 
thing that scares me the most about Schaefer is that he's not going to be able to put on much more weight than he currently plays at. He's listed at 214. Like, I would say 225 would probably be his max. We'll see. There's a ton of intrigue there. I don't... I have a tough time even getting into it because if a kid like that pops, what a valuable player. Hugely valuable player. And you can't tell me that Tanner Janot's emergence this season didn't play a big part in the Oilers wanting Schaefer. You know, there, there's always a player in the league who spawns comparisons. When he pops, he spawns comparisons in the next draft. Milan Lucic popped. Zach Cassian was the next Milan Lucic. It's a perfect example. There's always a rare type of player who we just can't accept is rare. We always got to say, oh, well, now that there's one, there's got to be 20 of them. There's one for everyone. No, no, there's not. Schaefer, extremely unlikely. He puts up a type of season that Tanner Janot did. But if Schaefer can be that third line, third line guy who can contribute, who plays, you know, has has good expected goal numbers, you know, good analytics, good in his own zone, chips in with ten goals, fifteen assists a year, Warren Fogle type numbers, and then can legitimately throw with some of the best in the league. That's huge. That's everything. Number four on the list. Probably the last time he's going to be on a top 20 prospects list for me. Stuart Skinner is at number four. Tough time ranking goaltenders. Um, Man, it's been a wild ride for Skinner and me. Um, I was pissed they traded up to take him. I was pissed that the organization favored him over Dylan Wells, who looked so good in 2017, and then felt like the organization just completely bailed on him for the hometown boy. But I can happily report that they knew better than I did all along. Only question left with Skinner is whether he is just a backup or he can emerge as a starter. Obviously, Jack Campbell's in his way. Um, Skinner should be getting at least 35 starts next season. Campbell's history says he's not a 50-star goaltender. I would go 46-36 for me as the split. Um, I think that's what every team should aim to do is their split on their goaltenders is 46-36, somewhere in there. If you want to go more than that, that's, you know... If he wanted to do a full 41 and 41, I'd be all in favor of that. I still believe Skinner can play a more composed game than he does. Um, That's so easy to say, but that's what most goaltenders battle is, letting the game come to them. And more than any other position as a goaltender, you've got to let it come to you. You know, what do you notice most when you watch Carey Price play? When Carey Price is on, what do you notice most? 
he looks like he's asleep. Now, I know that's not how Vasilevsky plays, and I know that's not how Shosturkin plays. Carey Price, though, pretty damn good. When Cam Talbot had his amazing 2017 season here in Edmonton, that's how he looked. I think that's more than anything as a goaltender. You've got to have that demeanor where you're never high, you're never low. You're just super late. Like Braden's got that same way about him. Is when Braden's on, he looks like he's hardly trying. He looks like he doesn't give a shit about anything. Like, that's the type of guy I think Skinner, Skinner seems to me like he's that kind of guy. When Skinner came up in 2021, I mean, the first thing that I noticed with Stuart Skinner when he got his start in 2021 against Ottawa is that Dave Tippett was pointing a gun at him, saying, if you let one in, I will murder you. Well, maybe, I don't know. That might not be true. I might be misremembering that now. But, because it's not like Dave Tippett to hate kids. Oh, I was so pissed about that. Koskinen's all they've got. They've got this kid who's put up really good numbers in the AHL. All they need to do is give him a chance. Remember Troy Groshnik and all that mess? Like, I'll tell you. The next time someone's telling me how great of a GM Ken Holland is, I would definitely like to use the Anton Forsberg situation as Exhibit A. <laughs> what a fucking disaster. But you were stuck. It was Stuart Skinner. So guess what? Don't run your goaltender into the ground. Give the kid a legitimate chance. It's early in the season. If he doesn't work, you'll be fine. It doesn't matter if he gets lit up. The guy you're going to put in in his place can't lift his arms. He's so spent. So what if he ends up losing 5-3 as opposed to 8-3? A loss is a loss. Get him some fucking rest so he's ready to go the next game. Dave just sitting there watching that Ottawa game, praying that they that they go down to Ottawa so that he can yank Stuart Skinner and never play him again and berate him, likely, for being the shittiest human being possible. Knowing that this is the answer to Stuart Skinner's future. This benching is where it's at. This methodology of coaching can never go wrong. Oh, I didn't like Dave Tippett. Did you know that? I've said this before. With Todd McClellan, I thought Todd McClellan was so overrated. I didn't think Todd McClellan shouldn't coach in the NHL, though. I just thought he was badly overrated. And I thought it was time for a change. Like, it it was clear to me it was time for a change. With Dave Tippett, like, it was obvious to me this man couldn't coach. 
There were so many examples. I'm not going to get into them today. Uh, I still got to talk more about Woodstock and more about politics. People want to hear that. That's why they're tuning in. That's why you downloaded this podcast. Next tier. There's another tier here. This is the top three. These are the stars. These are the stars of the system. Number three on the list, X-Man, Xavier Borgo. My comp form is Brock Besser. He, he's not quite as big as Brock Besser, but the style is very similar. Um, I would say he's more skilled than Besser. Not, he's not as one-dimensional as Besser is, but I also think he ends up becoming that type of player. Like, I hate it. I hate, hate, hate when independent scouts are drooling all over a guy's shot and being a sniper. You've heard me rant a million times. I nearly went off on it again tonight on this podcast. I can't stand that. But with Borgo, it's not just his shot. He scores in multiple ways, and he can dish. And I truly believe this. He showed off the type of vision where if he didn't play with Maverick Bork all the time, he would have been a lot more of a setup man than he was. But he was Bork's trigger man. I love his vision. I... I you know, another guy, I'm not, I didn't want to use this as his comp, but I've said this before. There's a little bit of dry sidle in his style of play. Now, he's not dry sidle. Don't get me wrong. But with how balanced of an offensive attack he has, where he's equally as good of a shooter as he is a, as he is a disher, and he plays a cerebral game like dry sidle, there's, you know, his listing, he's listed at six feet, 172. He looks like he's got a a frame that's going to support, you know, 215, 220. Maybe, that, maybe that's a bit, oh, maybe 210. Maybe I'm going a little too far saying 220, but he's a thick kid nonetheless. He's thick, he's cerebral, he's not super gritty, um, by any means, yeah, like I, super gritty. You know, I talked about how he, he plays more of a perimeter game than dry sidle. I had pushback on that when I said that, but I I stand by it. Um, I I think some guys maybe get their backs up a little bit when they hear stuff like that. I didn't mean it as in he's a pussy. I just meant he's. He doesn't play as gritty of a game. Like, I think it's a fair comment to say Borgo's more of a perimeter player. I think that's very fair to say. That's not, that's not to say he won't go to the middle. It's not to say he won't go to the dirty areas, but he prefers to play on the perimeter. But there's intriguing upside with Borgo. Very intriguing upside. Turns er, he's now pro because he was a late 0-2. You know, again, this was the 22nd pick in the 2021 draft. They traded back with Jesper Wallstadt. Thankfully, they got one 
right, even though the way it shook out so far, I still would have took Wallstat. They have a much bigger need in their system for a star goaltender than they do for a star winger right now. But, you know, Borgo looks good. So far, so good with Xavier Borgo. Can't say that for uh, Griffin Reinhardt. Can't say that for Marc-Antoine Pouliot. And if I need to explain either of those to you, I'm sorry. Got no time. Taking way too long here. Um, This time next year, the next two will not be on the list. That's my prediction. Could be wrong. They're probably not going to be off the list as quickly as most think. But by this time next year, they won't be on the list. Philip Broberg's number two. Um, he was the eighth pick in the 2019 draft. My comp on Broberg is Noah Hannafin. Uh, Jay Bomeister's another guy that comes to mind. Rasmus Ristolainen is another guy who comes to mind. Uh, all the tools, we'll see about the toolbox. The one thing I really want to see out of Broberg still, it's coming, but the puck moving ability still needs to, it's still got a ways to go. He's not going to be able to skate his way out of bad situations in the NHL. He needs to learn to move the puck. He has all the ability in the world. He could become an elite puck mover. But it's still got a ways to go. His defensive game still has a ways to go. But man, that size and that skating ability, he's going to be really good. I hated the pick. And just so we're clear on this, I thought the combination of... See, I wouldn't have taken this guy. But I know... Everyone else in the hockey world would have taken this guy. So I was expecting the team to take this guy and pissed they didn't take this guy, Trevor Zegras. Trevor Zegras, for so many reasons, should have been that pick. If not Trevor Zegras, my guy was off the board a little bit. I think he still I still think he ends up as a better player than Philip Broberg, Peyton Krebs. But I knew there was no way they were taking Krebs in that spot. Zegris was very real. Krebs wasn't. Another kid that I thought they should have taken, Matthew Boldy. I'm talking about over Philip Broberg. Matthew Boldy is much further ahead right now than Philip Broberg. Matthew Boldy wouldn't suck to have a power forward like that for the Oilers. I'm not a Cole Caulfield guy. I think most of you know that. Not that I think Cole Caulfield sucks. I just see him as overrated. For the Oilers especially, I thought Cole Caulfield made way more sense than Philip Broberg in that spot. The one thing where I would get higher on Cole Caulfield is if he was going to an organization that had the right centers in place where he could legitimately just play his game. Because he's not a guy that should be carrying a line. He's a complimentary sniper. The Oilers had McDavid, they had Dreisaitl. It made all the sense in the world. 
Plus, I will say this for Cole Caulfield, type of kid who clearly loves playing in Montreal, type of kid who would have loved playing in Edmonton. You know, you get entitled kids. You know, Goudreau, I shouldn't call Goudreau entitled, but Goudreau probably didn't embrace playing in Calgary like maybe he should have. Shy kid, doesn't seem to like the spotlight. Kachuk, entitled kid. You know, just... I don't think Matt Kachuk's a bad kid by any means, but I think Matt Kachuk... I think the biggest reason Matt Kachuk wanted to leave Calgary was ego. I think Matt Kachuk thought he was too big for Calgary. That's my honest opinion. I, I You hear all this stuff like Friedman always talks about, well, you know, they... The Kachuk family, they're, they're smart. They know the game. They, they, know, they know this business. Yeah. Yeah. If the Kachuk family's so smart, then why is Brady locked into a seven-year deal in Ottawa? Like, spare me. You guys can try and make his case all you want to help him save face. The fact is his brother signed for seven years in Ottawa. So that immediately kills that theory. Not that either city is a shithole. They're both amazing cities. Never been to Ottawa. But a lot of my trucker friends have, and they have nothing but good things to say. I can't say that with a straight face. (laughs) I'm just like that douchebag who tries to be funny on Twitter. Um. Anyway, lots of guys. Point is, lots of guys I would have taken before Broberg. But credit where it's due, and I said this from the start, the one thing about this pick is the Oilers have to take their time with this kid. They can't rush him. And even though it looked like there were moments where they were going to rush him, when Mark Spector is all over Edmonton Radio talking about how this player, he's the best defenseman in their bubble camp, and oh my God, like they, he should be, he's ahead of Evan Bouchard right now. He actually said that. Oh my God, he's just amazing. Like He's just been the best player in camp. Like, slow the fuck down. The problem with this type of player, Jay Bomeister, Darnell Nurse, Noah Hannafin, they all, Rasmus Ristolainen, they always get rushed. Jacob Chikrin's another one. They always get rushed. Now, some of those kids are panning out. Noah Hannafin found the right coach, and Daryl Sutter, his system. Daryl Sutter's system always makes the defensive end of the puck look so much better. Daryl Sutter's teams all play with so much structure, which is perfect for a kid like Noah Hannafin. It makes his analytics look so much better, even though he's not actually a top-pairing defenseman. But he's number four. He's number three. Like He's a second-pair guy. 
as much as people might want to debate me on that take that the Flames don't actually have a top pair, Noah Hannafin's an excellent number three, in my opinion, on any team. Jay Bolmeister, while we were frustrated for the first two-thirds of his career that the offense never came and that he wasn't winning multiple Norris trophies, as we saw in St. Louis, he was fine. He was a very, an excellent top four defenseman when he was allowed to just step in and be that guy and be that complimentary pairing guy with Alex Pedrangelo. He was perfect. Right now, people think that Jacob Chikorin is amazing and that anyone should give Arizona whatever they want. It's unbelievable that this guy is available. What always happens with these guys? Jacob Truba was this guy. Jacob Truba was exactly what Jacob Chikorin is right now. Truba goes to the Rangers... People say, who's Neil Pionk? Why did the Jets get him? And two years later, Neil Pionk is clearly a better defenseman than Jacob Truba. Jacob Truba was just a nice complimentary fit for Josh Morrissey, who was always the guy in Winnipeg. Not that Morrissey's that great. Morrissey's game has taken a major step back. They needed each other, clearly. But Truba, I never believed in Truba being that. Because the book on him the whole way was IQ, and that's all these guys. All these guys that I'm talking about have number, very legitimate number one defenseman skill sets. They aren't overly quick upstairs. Is Broberg... We'll find out. To this point, Broberg has been very coachable. Looks like he's a very intelligent kid, very humble kid. We'll see. If he is coachable, if he is a kid who has a high IQ and is like its number one potential, without a doubt. Without a doubt. People call me crazy when I say that. That's, that's, not, that's not a fucking hot take. You're talking about a 6'3 guy, 200 pounds, who's going to be one of the best skaters in the NHL. Wow, hot take that that kid could be a number one defenseman. Wow, that's, that's crazy talk. Like, yeah, just fucking mental. I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, of course. But... Here's the thing that you got to realize. There are, the NHL is littered with guys like that. That's why it's not a hot take. But yeah, Broberg's got number one potential. And when I say number one, I'm talking about my idea of a number one defenseman. My idea of a number one defenseman is a guy who carries top pair minutes and you can put pretty much any defenseman you want with him and that will still be a top pair they'll thrive Victor Hedman and Eric Chernak is Eric Chernak a top pairing defenseman fuck no 
But playing with Victor Hedman, he looks like one. Chris Pronger playing with Steve Stales. Steve Stales was never a top pair defenseman. Sure looked like one playing with Chris Pronger, though. That's what a number one is. Philip Broberg can be that guy. Will he be that guy? Odds are Philip Broberg, nice 3-4 type defenseman. Second pairing guy, top four, very legitimate top four guy. A guy you can use in several different, you know, much like Noah Hannafin might need the structure. Jay Woodcroft comes with a system that's very structured. Here's the one thing. Like how I said Samarukov would start the season on the team, wouldn't be surprised if Broberg doesn't. Or if Broberg doesn't get sent down for cap purposes, but then gets sent down like the next day. I could see that going down too. Because his cap number is a little bit higher than that of Niemalainen. But again, I've said this a million times to you idiots out there who think that Philip Broberg making not making the opening night roster is some slight. It's not. It's just a numbers game. He's got time left before he's waiver eligible. It's not a bad thing to give him 25 minutes a night in Bakersfield. This is not hurting his development. There's other guys to bring along too. He'll be on the roster by the end of next season, without a doubt. Barring injury, barring a nightmare of a season, he will be there game one of the playoffs. It's just that he probably won't be there to start the season, and that's okay. That's not a slight in any way. It's not because he's not going to be good enough to make the team, Junior. Shouldn't say Junior when my puppy's name is Junior. That's not going to be the reason. Just like with this guy, as I record this, he might not be on the team to start the season. I think we all assumed he would be. I think we all assumed they would clear spots for him and basically gift him a spot. But so far, they haven't done that. My number one is Dylan Holloway. My comp on Dylan Holloway, I can't get away from this. My comp on Dylan Holloway is Jonathan Taves. Now, before you freak out, let me lay out where I'm coming from on that. Everything except the offensive upside is like Taves. The offensive upside is not like Taves. The size is like Taves. The skating is like Taves. The commitment to playing a 200-foot game is like Taves. The power that he plays with is like Taves. There's too much like Jonathan Taves. The intangibles are like Taves. There's too much Jonathan Taves like to not use that comp. But know when I say he's Jonathan Taves, when I got him compared to Jonathan Taves, know that I am not saying 
that he's going to have 852 points in a little over 1,000 NHL games in his career. Know that I'm not saying that he's going to be a point-per-game player like Taves was in the 2019 season. In fact, just looking at Taves' numbers... Probably, he had a 76-point season in 2011. But they're probably going to be... You know, he had a 57-point year. Well, that was, he was point per game that year. It was 59 points. 59 games, 57 points. Sorry. But I'm looking at seasons like 2017, he had 58 and 72. 2018, he had 52 and 74. That's probably fair as to what I could see Holloway being in the prime of his career. They're just very similar to one another the way they play. And I can't get away from that comp. I'm sorry, I can't. I see too much of Taves there. Does it mean he'll be Taves? No. But as an Oilers fan... It's fucking exciting because I look at it and I go, he can be Jonathan Taves. He can be Jonathan Taves. I personally think he's going to be strictly a winger, though, with the Oilers. He has the ability to play the middle. He played the middle at Wisconsin. He played the middle in Okotoks. He can play the middle. But it looks like the Oilers are pretty committed to having Ryan McLeod play the middle. So if Ryan McLeod's playing the middle, I guess you could go, you could move Dreisaitl to the wing on the first line, move Nuge to the wing on the second line, or have Nuge still on the wing on the second line, and run McDavid, McLeod, Holloway in some order. I'd probably put Holloway as my first line center in that case, and then McLeod, and then McDavid. Put McDavid in a checking role. I think that's best. Oh, that woke the dog up, that fake laugh. Hi, bud. There's a lot of... I could say other guys. I've said other guys with Holloway. Logan Couture is a guy that comes to mind. Brandon Sod's a guy that comes to mind. Louis Erickson in his prime is a guy that come to mind. Mark Stone, but a better skater, is another guy that comes to mind. Like I think I, I described him once to someone as think of Mark Stone's game, but with I can't I think I said Dylan Larkin's wheels, something like that. Like and his offensive game might never pop. His hands are very shaky. Like it's very possible that Holloway, all Holloway ends up being is an excellent 200-foot player. The type of guy that you cr- 
crave to have in your in your top nine in that complimentary safety net type of position. He can kill penalties. He can match him up with the other team's top line. Phil Deneau is another guy who came to mind with Holloway. But yeah, my comp is Jonathan Taves, and I know that sounds extreme. And again, comps don't mean that that's going to be what the guy is, its style of play. But... Jonathan Taves is what Holloway could be. Or he could be Brandon Sod. Because there's a lot of similarities with Sod. Anyway, I'm getting loopy. I've done a lot of recording. My voice is starting to hurt. I This is two and a half hours long. Thanks for hanging in there. I didn't think this would be two and a half hours long. But I hope you enjoyed it. Top 20 Edmonton Oilers prospects. Whew. Tired. I think I'm going to go watch the Woodstock documentary again and cry myself to sleep. For Junior, the Golden Retriever puppy, I'm Tyler Campbell. This is Soups on Hockey. Thanks for listening. Good night now.